This is the message from Connection Community Church for this Sunday, June 17th, 2012. Exiled Daniel. The early part of the 6th century BC saw a great upheaval in the Middle East. In the midst of this, the military forces of Babylon's King Nebuchadnezzar subdued Jerusalem in 597 and exiled 10,000 of the best and brightest to Babylon. The exile continued until July of 586, when the walls of Jerusalem were breached and the city was plundered. On August 14, 586 BC, the city and temple were destroyed by fire. Among those exiled were the prophets Ezekiel, Daniel, and Jeremiah. We'll explore some of their stories and what they have to say to us today. This morning, our focus is on Daniel. And good morning, Connection Church. It is great to be with you this morning. My name is Carrie Jones. I'm Alan Jones. And we are two sinners who have been saved by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with us, please? Almighty God, we thank you and praise you for this day and all days. It's a day that you've made, a day that you have plans for each one of us. We pray that we see you more clearly today. Almighty God, open up our hearts so that we might understand your word found in scripture, that we could apply it to our lives so that we could be your vessel out into the world. We pray this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit and all of Connection Church said, amen. Amen. And so today we look at the prophet Daniel. He, along with his uh, buddies Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were among those exiled in the first wave of deportation from Judah to Babylon in the early years of the 6th century B.C. as King uh, Nebuchadnezzar systematically conquered that country, destroying its capital, Jerusalem, and the temple as well. Daniel and his friends, better known to us by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were chosen, as Scripture tells us, because they were young, handsome, without physical defect, intelligent, well-informed, quick to learn, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. The plan was to teach them both the language and literature of Babylon, and they were given food and wine from the king's table. They were trained for three years. They were preparing to enter into the king's service. And so from a Babylonian perspective, it was an effective way of molding future leaders. This plan of enculturation allows the Babylonians to not only utilize the gifts of the people that they brought in, that they've conquered to bring in for their own advantage, but it disarms those same people who were brought in by encouraging them to blend in, to be a part of the Babylonian way of doing life. You see, they were foreigners exported, you know, exiled from their land, brought into a new place, the best and the brightest. And so 
they did not even realize probably that they were being enculturated into the Babylonian way of doing things. Mm. Gentle, gentle enculturation. It's kind of like if you're familiar with the frog in the kettle. You know, if you put a frog in a kettle of boiling water, the frog will jump out. Of course, it doesn't want to get hurt, damaged, killed. But if you put a frog in a kettle of cool water and slowly heat it up, by the time the frog realizes what's going on, it's already too late. He's been cooked. And so that's kind of how the Babylonians <laughs> did it, just slowly How many people knew that? Yeah, so some of you, that's a new tidbit here. And we're a, we're a teaching church, and that's what, the, that's what we're about here. Okay, so, so that's kind of what the Babylonians did. They threw these guys kind of in the kettle and slowly heated it up, and they were already engulfed by the time they realized they were going on. They slowly took over and Babylonialized these four guys, oh, this crop of, of recruits from Judah. Okay, so we're going to call this the... Uh, Babylonian intern enculturation program. And that program was to have them eat and drink at the king's table. I mean, that's pretty hot stuff to eat and drink at the king's table. But the challenge here is that the food on the table for these guys didn't work because they had strict dietary regulations. There were strict food rules for the Jews that was outlined in the Old Testament, and they knew that well. We can find these in books like Leviticus and chapter 11 or chapter 17. We can find it in Deuteronomy chapter 14, where the people were given a clear outline of what was acceptable to eat and what was not acceptable to eat. And the food and the drink from the king's table did not work for them. It did not cut it. It was unacceptable according to the Hebrew law. And Daniel, even though he was in the intern program, was not willing to compromise himself on this matter. He determined that he was not uh, not going to allow those around him to dictate what he would and would not eat. He determined he was not going to allow himself to break the rules, the rules that he had been following all his life up to this point, uh, just because he was living in a different place, a different country, a different culture. So here's what he says in Scripture. Here's what we're told in Scripture. I'm sorry. We're taking a look at Daniel chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 16, but here's the first part of that. But Daniel determined that he would not defile himself By eating the king's food or drinking his wine. So he asked the head of the palace staff to exempt him from the royal diet. The head of the palace staff, by God's grace, liked Daniel. But he warned him, I'm afraid of what my master, the king, will do. He is the one who assigned this diet. And if he sees that you are not as healthy as the rest, he'll have my head. Mm. So Daniel got some resistance. The, the guy in charge wasn't willing to, uh, to get in trouble uh, trying to help Daniel, even though he liked him. Uh, he was afraid of what the king would do since it was the king who determined what these young men were supposed to do. But, but Daniel was not easily dissuaded, and so he tried again using a slightly different approach. But Daniel appealed to a steward who had been assigned by the head of the palace staff to be in charge of Daniel. 
Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Try us out for 10 days on a simple diet of vegetables and water. Then compare us with the young men who eat from the royal menu. Make your decision on the basis of what you see. The steward agreed to do it and fed them vegetables and water for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked better and more robust than all the others who had been eating from the royal menu. So the steward continued to exempt them from the royal menu of food and drink and served them only vegetables. So Daniel stepped out and asked someone to take a chance uh, and, and just give it a try for 10 days. What a sales technique. Just try it for 10 days and see if you like, see if it works. Have you used that one before? Uh, oodles. 30 yeah. days. We had 30 days. This one's just 10. Just try it for 10 days. We'll see what happens. And they did, and it was good. And God was faithful to Daniel and to Daniel's friends. And, and at the end of 10 days, they were healthier than anyone else in the intern program. So the steward put them on the new diet permanently, and, and it worked out for everybody. What a great story. And when the time came for them to be presented to King Nebuchadnezzar, he found the four of them, Daniel, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, to be ahead of all the other leadership interns. Scripture tells us when the king asked them questions about wisdom and understanding, they were ten times better, ten times better than all the musicians and enchanters in the kingdom. They were ten times brighter. Daniel, can you imagine that? Yes, so those guys had an IQ of 100. These guys had an IQ of 1,000. That's incredible. Ten times brighter. Daniel went on to, then to, to serve the king. He interpreted the king's dreams and was an important part of the administration there. And he remained in Babylon until um, the Persian king uh, Cyrus defeated Babylon in the year uh, 539. And, and Cyrus returned, allowed the Jews to go back to Jerusalem. In fact, helped them rebuild the temple. Okay, so this has been a great history lesson. This has been some spiritual food for us, but what does it have to do with us right here, right now in 2012? This took place that thousands of years ago. It has everything to do with us here today. Everything. You see, Daniel and his buddies, they were in a great position in terms of their future. They were set up. And even though they had been taken from everything that they knew, everything that was familiar and transported to this foreign land, they were set up, actually, to have some influence. They could write their own ticket. They were the king's guys, the king's interns. And so all they had to do was get with the program. They had to do what the king said. They needed to fit in. They should not make waves. Play the game. But, but they were not willing to do that. They were not willing to go with the flow. They had a belief system in the one true God of the Hebrew Bible. And so that they decided to go counterculture. They held fast to their rules. And so they believed that God would be faithful even though they risked their lives, actually. They were not willing to compromise their principles. They held fast to what they believed, held fast to who they were. That's big. 
held fast to who they were in the midst of a foreign culture. And God rewarded them greatly for doing that. And you know, that's not always easy because we often don't know what the outcome is going to be. When, when Daniel said, well, try it for 10 days, he didn't know. And he had faith that God was going to uh, help him and that he would be healthy. And it did work out that way. But, you know, when we go countercultural, it's, there's always risk, isn't there? There's always risk. We don't, we're not sure of how it's going to go or what it's going to be. And it's, and it's often not the route that everyone else takes. That's the real challenge. We're often surrounded by people who are not doing what we're willing to do if we go, if we take those risks. You know, as I was reading this scripture, we were preparing for this morning's message. I thought it's kind of strange because I'm not a real student of, of, of World War II or, or German history or anything. But I'd heard about something in, um, in the church in Germany, World War II, and I, and I looked it up and it, and it kind of fit with what was going on here. Um, uh, Hitler basically took over the church in Germany in World War II, and, and, and the challenge is a lot of the clergy went along. In other words, they, they didn't buck the system. They, they didn't see what was happening there. They didn't protest. They didn't risk. They, they followed their leader. Not everybody. Not all. The, the minority did not, but the majority did. There were some that were part, a, a small minority took part in something called the Confessing Church, a, a group that arose in opposition to the Nazification of the, of the German Protestant Church. And this is a story that has a lot of ins and outs that we we're not going to go into this morning. But the, the simple story is this. They were in the minority. It was risky. There was a guy named Martin Niemöller. Martin Niemöller was one of them. He was a German pastor, theologian, who at first backed Hitler because this guy was against communism. He saw Hitler as, as, as kind of the one who was going to lead them in a good direction. But when he found, he found out he was wrong... Um, because Hitler insisted on the supremacy of the state over the church. And that's when this guy took a different direction. He ended up being the leader of this confessing church movement. As we said, though, there's, there's risk. There's risk when we challenge the establishment. Niemöller was sent to a concentration camp. <laughs> Here was, this was the charge for not being enthusiastic enough about the Nazi movement. <laughs> Sometimes we pay a price when we're faithful in the midst of the culture around us, it's hard. After the war, he was a faithful pastor. He served his church, but he worked for the reconciliation of the German people. He is probably best remembered for this saying. First, they came for the communists, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't communist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak out for me. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak out for me. And the thing is, uh, we don't have to go to Germany to see where culture can challenge religion. Um, a good example right here in the United States from a couple hundred years ago in the Methodist Church, the church that this uh, connection is a part of, the, the Methodist Church. The, the founder of Methodism was a, a, actually an Anglican priest in England, John Wesley. Uh, John Wesley. And, and, and Wesley was appalled by American slavery. 
And so when the Methodist Episcopal Church, that was the official name of this church in the United States, was founded in 1784, the denomination officially opposed slavery. That was the company line against slavery in the early 19th century, though. The, the, the stance on slavery was somewhat weakened in some areas because of some, some wealthy Southerners. See, the culture in the South was a little different than the North, and that had an effect on the clergy in that area, you see? And so the clergy in the North were expected uh, not only not to own slaves but to help emancipate them, while in the South, where slaves were illegal, there was some hedging on the part of clergy in that area. And those cultural differences then helped divide not only the nation in the 19th century, but divided the Methodist Episcopal Church as well. A dispute arose in 19, or excuse me, 1844 that led the Southern Methodists to break off and form their own denomination, the Methodist Episcopal Church South. And they were separated from the, from the rest of the body for uh, not reunited until 1939. You see how those cultural differences and, and not taking a stand or see what happens. See what happens. Hmm. We live in a culture today that is, is fairly liberal in a lot of different ways. Some good ways, some ways that might be a little um, difficult to swallow. A culture that seems like it's a crime to hold fast to what the Bible says. A culture in which it's, um, it's okay to be anything but a Christ follower. Now, when I say this, it is our charge as people who love Jesus to love everyone. I want to be clear on that. But we have a problem <laughs> because... Um, Things seem to be spinning out of control. All I need to do is turn on the TV. And I see things, I hear things, even the language, for example, that is much different than it was a number of years ago. And now I'm getting used to it. That's enculturation. Instead, I should be, you know, boycotting certain shows to stand against things. That, that's just my own, own personal example because I see things and I hear things that don't bother me anymore that should. That's enculturation. That's what this story of Daniel is all about. You see, Daniel was um, part of, made part of the Babylonian culture, but he didn't buy into it because he stood for what he knew that God wanted him to stand for. Some things in our lives, you know, there's, there might be, you know, levels of things that we might want to risk for. There's some insignificant things. There's some really, really big things. And we're bombarded right now. But it's important to pray and see where you come out on this and not just have certain things just be okay because we just quit seeing them. You know, it's challenging to stay true to where we feel Christ is leading us at times. It's, it's not always easy just because oftentimes we'll be in contrast to a lot of people around us and oftentimes because uh, there's great risk. And yet in the midst of that great risk, it can also bring great reward as well. 
You know, I think of um, this company, Chick-fil-A. I think we've mentioned them before. Refreshing that, that they're able to, to be contrary to the culture because that's what they believe. Not open on Sunday, and yet they are a thriving company working six days a week, not seven. It's a heck of a story when you think about it. Their, their official company statement of purpose is that their company exists to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us, to have a positive influence on all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. That's a pretty bold statement out there in the marketplace. And, you know, when, when, when they first opened, a uh, uh, guy's guy named uh, Truett Cathy uh, opened Chick-fil-A, they, they weren't open on Sunday. Uh, his son later claimed it was because after six days they were too tired to stay open the seventh. But <laughs> it was actually because they were Southern Baptists and very strongly uh, focused on the idea of the Sabbath. And, um, you know, the thing is, though, back then, uh, it wasn't that, 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 that weird not to be open on Sunday when it first started. But in the culture we're in today, they continue to hold to that line in which virtually everybody open on Sunday, especially places like in a mall where I've heard when they sign a contract in the mall, they're, they're strongly encouraged by the mall owners to be open on Sunday because they want all, everybody to be open every day, and yet they don't, and, and, and they still thrive. It's quite a story. So the question for us today is, is this, where is the culture challenging you? It will be different for each one of us. Where is God calling you to be a Daniel, to go against the flow, even when it's a little more challenging? Where is God calling you to kind of draw a line in the sand and say, enough is enough, to take a stand even if it's unpopular? How is God speaking into your life? And the question is, will we be obedient? Will you be obedient to that when God does speak something? Or or do we walk away afraid? God's protection over us, you know, it it doesn't mean we're not going to, you know, they were thrown in jail. The the, the Niemöller was thrown in jail. There's certain things that are a concentration camp. That was jail, really, but worse. Um, It might not be pretty. But we can stand for that which God calls us to stand for. And in all cases, it should be for one another. When people are hurt, you know, we need to stand up for those kinds of things. That's easy. But what about some of the other things that we just kind of get used to? Where do we, not be, where do we need to not be afraid to step up and step out in the name of of Jesus. That's what we'd like for you to think about in in our last few minutes of today's service. Pray about it from your seats, come up on the steps and pray. You can go back in the back at the prayer corner if you have a specific request, would like somebody to pray for you and with you. This is a great time to um to talk to God but also probably more importantly to hear from God. Amen. That's the gospel. Let's live it. Let's believe it. And let's pray. Almighty God, it is, um, 
it's it's challenging, Lord, to um, take an unpopular stand or an unpopular view. But Lord, if you if you call us to do that in each one of in our worlds, wherever we are, God, we know that you'll equip us. So use us, use us, salt and light, use us to be your witnesses using words if necessary. God, guide us every step of the way. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that we can walk by faith, not by sight, and that your Holy Spirit guides us, protects us every step of the way. We pray this in the name of God the Father, His Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And all of Connection Church said, Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast. For more information about Connection Community Church in Middletown, Delaware, please visit our website at www.connectioncc.org. You can also call our church offices at 302 302- 378-7692. Connection Community Church. Connecting people with Jesus and the life that he offers. Thank you.